Today's topic is the basics of PERM labor certification. So one may wonder, why do I need a PERM labor certification? Well, most employment-based permanent residency or green card cases begin with the filing of a labor certification application on what's called as ETA Form 9089 through the PERM process. PERM is the abbreviated term of the U.S. Department of Labor's Program Electronic Review Management System, which has been the method used by the U.S. Department of Labor to process PERM or labor certification applications since March 2005. So let's look a little bit and step back on a little bit of the big picture. PERM is a highly technical process with many potential traps for employers. However, if the employer approaches the process from the right perspective and the employee understands the process and works closely with the law firm or the attorney, then hopefully all of the details can fall into place. So from the employer's perspective, the questions that need to be answered are, one, what are my company's actual minimum requirements for the position? Not what this candidate has, because that's getting into very specific nuances and details, which would be a violation, but what are the true minimum requirements for any other person performing the exact same job with that employer? So for example, a programmer analyst, has to be the same job that you use for everybody. You can't say this programmer needs a master's degree in five years or three years or bachelor's in five, and this other one requires only a bachelor's in two years because then you have inconsistencies. Second question, have I made a good faith effort to recruit possible U.S. workers for the position? So the good faith recruitment efforts of the employer. And the third is, have I evaluated all of the applicants who have responded to the advertisement as I would were the position actually open and available. So what are the three? The actual minimum requirements for the position. Second is good faith recruitment efforts for the position. And third is proper good faith evaluation of all candidates as if the position were open. Obviously, needless to say, you really want to work with an attorney or a law firm that truly has the experience because majority of the cases where we see the problems are where the perm gets denied because the law firm or the attorney dabbles a little bit in immigration and business and 10 other areas of the law and has no in-depth, clear-cut understanding of the nuances and complexities of U.S. immigration law. So let's cite the section to help you. The Immigration and Nationality Act's Section 212A, 5, capital A, requires most green card cases to go through the labor certification process in order to help U.S. workers find employment and to protect the wages and working conditions of U.S. workers who are in the same geographic location as where the job is available. Only after the labor certification process or the process or the perm process is completed with the application approved or the Department of Labor certification, can then the sponsoring employer file what's called the I-140 or immigrant petition with the USCIS. So how does the sponsoring employer actually get to file a PERM case? That's like a question everyone's sort of curious and you want to know. 
How does the process work, the technicalities, the overview? Well, as we said, the employer must recruit workers in the manner which is specified in the law and regulations to test the available U.S. workforce to determine if there are any able, willing, and qualified U.S. workers willing to do that job at that position, at that location, those job duties at that salary. Second, the employer must verify that it has offered the prevailing wage, which is at least equal to the prevailing wage for the sponsored job in that geographic area where the job is located. And according to the Department of Labor, a prevailing wage is the wage that the Department of Labor considers to be that which is paid to someone with, with a specific level of education and years of work experience. This dollar amount of the prevailing wages will obviously vary depending on the geographic location of the work site. So, for example, in New York City, the salary is likely to be higher than in the middle of, for example, you know, Indiana or Iowa or some other part of the country where the standard of living may be a little bit less. So what's the process? First, the employer or the attorney usually will obtain the prevailing wage determination from the Department of Labor. If the recruitment has started before the prevailing wage determination or what we call PWD has been issued, then the PERM case must be filed before it actually expires and the offered wage on the ETA Form 9089 and the notice of posting cannot be greater than the actual wage. If recruitment has started after the prevailing wage is issued, then the employer will actually be aware of what is the prevailing wage before finalizing the offered wage so that it does not fall below the prevailing wage and the PERM case can be filed properly and more easily as long as the recruitment remains valid even after the prevailing wage itself, the, the validity of that has expired. The, the PWD or the prevailing wage determination is made based on job requirements and job duties. So obviously if it's a more complex job, it's going to be a higher salary than if it's a much simpler job where you're being shown the ropes and you're not expected to act independently. According to the Department of Labor, there are four levels of wages uh, based on its an assignment of the wage level is based primarily on the relationship of the person's education and work experience to the normal range assigned by the job zone. The higher the requirements, obviously, the higher the wage level and therefore the higher the wage. So what are the types of recruitment for professional positions? Professional positions have an added layer. They require uh, ones that require at least a bachelor's degree or equivalent and for these types of professional positions, you are required as the employer to have two Sunday advertisements in a newspaper of general circulation. Second, you are required to have a printed, not merely an online, but a printed professional journal that can be used instead of one of the Sunday newspaper advertisements, only if the job requires either an advanced degree plus experience or is somehow considered more sophisticated. So usually it's the advanced degree plus experience. And a 30-day job order with the state workforce agency must be placed, including, um, so, so that has to be placed. And then you have three additional forms of recruitment from a list which has been provided by the DOL or the Department of Labor, including an employee referral program. So if the company has a referral program, great. 
if there is a job search website where the employer places the ad, or if there are local or ethnic newspaper ads, or if there's a radio or television ad, if there's a job fair in that area, if there's an employer website, private employment firm, like a headhunting or search firm, a trade or professional organization or on-campus recruiting, or campus placement office. So you have multiple, multiple avenues uh, on top of the two Sunday advertisements or one Sunday advertisement and a journal advertisement along with a 30-day job order. You need these three additional forms of recruitment. And then finally, a notice of posting must go up for a minimum of 10 business days. And there's lots of case law that Saturdays and Sundays usually don't count unless the business is normally open on a Saturday or Sunday in its regular course like restaurants, which are much busier on the weekends. Uh, and you certainly don't want to make a mistake and leave out uh, and forget when you're calculating that there's a public holiday or sometimes your company or business may be open. But if it's a public holiday, then Department of Labor has looked at it with a um, little bit of a gray eye. So you need to be very, very careful and err on the side of posting it for a few extra days. So you post it for ten minimum 10 business days at the work site and you identify the employer the details of the job occupation or the opportunity, as well as you identify the Atlanta National Processing Center address where the person can send any complaints or information about the LC process. The ads are placed, the ads that have been placed must be in a manner so as to inform the U.S. workers about the job that's offered on the PERM or LC case And it cannot include anything that is less favorable than what is being offered to the foreign worker. So, for example, if you've given a much higher salary to the foreign worker, then that's technically supposed to be part of this advertisement. It is a good rule to look over the text of every recruitment step from the perspective of the U.S. Department of Labor. Remember, the DOL is looking at the text of the recruitment as well as how each step has been documented to ensure that it matches both the letter and the spirit of the PERM rules. So let's go over some of the DOL expectations for recruitment, regardless of an employer's normal practice. So what does the DOL expect? One, the employer must evaluate resumes received to determine if there are available willing and qualified U.S. workers who have applied for the position. To to obtain the approval of the PERM or of the LC, the employer must prove that the employee's sponsorship will not adversely affect the wages and working conditions of the U.S. workforce and will not prevent the hiring of a qualified U.S. worker, which is what we had mentioned earlier as well. Second, pursuant to the Department of Labor regulations, if the applicant can be trained to perform the job within a reasonable period of time, then a U.S. worker who actually applies for that job cannot just be summarily disqualified on the basis of lacking the appropriate knowledge or ability or work experience. So again, if there is an available, willing, and qualified U.S. worker, then the labor certification process will need to be discontinued for this job, for this employer at this time, and maybe when the economy changes or things pick up, you can pick up, the, pick up and do a fresh labor certification. Um, so, so really, I mean, it can be so onerous and tricky at times. So what's our sort of recommendations? In general, we tell employers and employees, but remember, the employee and the attorney cannot be involved with the labor certification process by law. It is supposed to be by a U.S. employer to find the most qualified person who is a U.S. worker to do the job. Recommendations, document everything. 
set a standard process and questions in place to determine if the applicant indeed is minimally qualified. Just because the foreign worker, the person you're sponsoring, has a master's and 10 years experience, that's not the minimum qualifications for the job. It has to be what is truly the minimum qualifications as we explained. Once the perm has been approved, then the I-140 is filed with the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service, or USCIS, along with the approved labor certification form, the I-140 form, and evidence that the employer has the ability to pay the required salary, meets the prevailing wage for the job, and the sponsored worker has all of the education and or experience required in order to perform the job effectively. Remember, the labor certification or perm is only valid for 180 days since that's the maximum time. And so you as an employer or you as the employee monitoring the case want to be sure that you don't drop the ball and that the I-140 is filed while the perm is valid and remains valid. We hope that this has been a wonderful, useful summary. Thank you very much. And we look forward to the next topic.